My name is Ayende Bomani, run the Daylight Running Back Academy, and I train the future of D1. Today is a really exciting day for the future of D1. Not only is this episode one of our brand new podcast, The Future of D1, but we were able to secure a guest that many people, especially people in Southern California, will recognize. A trainer who's trained athletes of all levels throughout the country, so he's had a really good look at D1 talent and prospects over the last 10 years. He's personally trained more than 50 D1 athletes, and here's a hint, he specializes in ball carriers. Uh, very excited to introduce you to Ayende Bomani, founder of Run to Daylight Running Back Academy, who now has a brand new online program, which we will speak to. We'll also talk a lot about proclaiming your future as a D1 athlete, what it's going to take for an athlete to remain focused on their goal to go D1, how they can use his platform to stay in the game and ahead of the game. And so without further ado, we're going to kind of jump right in. Um... Thank you so much for being here, Ian Day. Thank you for having me. We um, are in a unprecedented recruiting year. So I wanna talk to you a lot about how athletes can stay engaged in the process. But most importantly, I want to go back and help people understand who you are, what you do, and um, yeah, let's just start there. So talk to us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, and we'll go back to 2010. Okay, well, my name is Ian Day Bomani. I am uh, the founder and CEO, or whatever, of Run to Daylight Running Back Academy, located out here in Southern California. Uh, my purpose is to help kids develop. When I first started training, I would see guys who train charge kids this elaborate amount of money and they have very little training. So what I wanted to do is make it affordable for the kids, especially the inner city kids, the kids who couldn't really afford it, teach them step-by-step progression teaching. A lot of times we just say, hey, you, you're six foot nine, you can dunk, but that's not really training or developing. I wanted to make sure that every kid had a chance to learn their body, how their body works, how they can trigger their glute muscles and their hamstrings, and you know, how they can really maximize their full potential. Okay. So you focus on running backs, that's your specialty, but you essentially train athletes across yes. all sports, is that right? Yes, anything that's explosive, that you need to be explosive and be able to change direction in a short space, I train. Okay, so we met back in 2000, Nine, I guess, 2009. 2009. Okay. And at that time, we were running a small camp for kids of all ages. There were kids aged seven or eight all the way up to high school. And you were focused on speed and agility. Tell us about what you learned in working with athletes that young. And, you know, a lot of those kids, actually all of those kids, have now graduated and gone to D1 universities or, yes. or highly touted D2 schools. So can you speak a little bit to just knowing the development of each individual athlete? Well, the first thing I would say is, as a coach, you should have pride in developing kids. Don't expect Superman, Jim Brown, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders just to walk up and then you call yourself a great coach. So what I wanted to do is trust every kid to have their inner determination to say, I'm gonna be good. If they, if they are, determined to be the best they can, then as a coach, you can help develop them. And a lot of times kids, coaches don't see a kid looking like a superstar right away. 
may try, try to write the kid off. I always said never write the kid off. Help develop them. If you have pride as a coach, as a trainer, or whatever you want to call yourself, you should try to help that kid, kid go from point A to point Z. Okay, let's talk about point A to point Z. Now, there could be a lot of different point A's. Point A is relative, right? There's, yeah. and then there's, you know, Z is relative, right? So the kids that come to you that are at point A, no matter their age, what are some of the things that you see consistently that you can change the fastest? Fastest thing I could change is their arm movement. Uh, that's the main thing I work on. I really don't say feet ever because if you know, if you run track, the faster your arms go, the faster your feet go. Your feet are in your knees and anything below your waist are slaves. They're slaves to the upper body. And I always tell kids, if a dog was coming to bite you, you don't look down at your feet and say, feet, do you see that big dog about to bite me? Because that way it's too late. Right. You have to <laughs> see the dog, your eyes are say danger and your arms react and you move fast as possible. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And football and every sport we play is the same way. You have to react with your eyes and send the signal to your hands to move. Right, okay. Tell me a little bit about Z. So this company is called The Future of D1 and we focus on athletes who proclaim their future, who decide up front, right? From, you know, A as you mentioned, from step A, that they want a D1 scholarship opportunity. Have you been able to find common threads in the kids that you've trained? So that at this point in your career, now you can look at a kid and go, okay, they actually really do have a shot outside of them just saying that. I'll tell you this, the biggest thing is some kids are very talented, but they have very poor work ethic. Mm. And those are the kids, everybody says he's gonna make it. And I'm thinking, no, he's not because it really takes very ferocious or whatever you can say, work ethic to make it. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. It's very competitive. If you think you could have step, it's not gonna work. You might get to one level, but you'll never get to the highest level. You know what I mean? And we always, we try to get the best. Like I said, run the daylight. We wanna take you farther than your DNA will allow you. Mm. you know what I mean, some kids aren't that talented, but they have great work work ethic. They they, they know how to use geometry, as meaning instead of running wiggly lines, they are gonna run like we learned. The fastest point is straight lines. So a lot of times a kid, can be very effective because he has really great technique. Okay, talk. let's talk about technique. So there's always this argument about, you know, California, Texas, and Florida having the best athletes, right? Now, is that because they're more technically sound? Is that because genetics? Is that because they're training more? Is that because it's more competitive? I have my theory from, you know, just through observation, but I don't train kids one-to-one. -one. So can you speak a little bit to that? What are the differentiators, right? Like outside of work ethic, you know, there's a lot of kids who might think they're working really hard, but what does that mean? I would really say Florida, they have probably the best pure athletes uh, as uh, just, you know, as a mass. You know what I mean? Texas probably has the best technique and the best coaching. And of course they have the best facilities. They have facilities like in California, you only see those kind of facilities at the private schools. But in Texas, every public school almost has great facilities. They have 10,000 seated uh, stadiums. California is also very good. Um, sometimes I would say California is like the palm tree. 
a lot of the athletes earlier when I started training, it's like if they didn't have the perfect circumstance, they didn't want to they didn't want to participate or they didn't participate well. Like in track, they would go to the uh, you know the, uh, junior Olympics, and if it was too humid. They didn't do well. Or I if see. it rained, okay. they didn't want to play. Okay, I see. You know I mean? So the weather thing. Okay. Yeah. So Florida kids definitely have humidity, which is a benefit for and, sure. And it can get cold. And it can get cool there. Rain. It, and it will rain. So, okay. So they may be more of a durable athlete in all season. They're more of an all-weather yes. athlete. Okay, that's probably a really good observation. Okay, and then California kids. Okay, I have three sons that I had in California. Um, and I'm originally from Cleveland. Go Browns. Um, but I have to say, you know, I do, when you, when you compare them in that way, I completely see the difference, right? I feel like California kids do grow like the palm tree. Um, they're, I feel like they're really strong, but I don't feel like they're battle tested in terms of weather, right? They aren't weathered. They don't have that same, um, durability in weather but they're just as fast right yeah. just just as strong right um maybe even a little bit more agile to me in my opinion when i watch seven on seven teams florida against california i think california boys oftentimes finesse and it's not even a bias but it but it's just what i have seen um and because they may grow a little bit taller and longer that helps them um, helps them at DB and it helps them at receiver. So when we're talking about track, track is a huge part of the football conversation. It's kind of the part that some people love to point to and there's a part that a lot of people don't love to point to. Talk to me a little bit about track and how important it is to kids who play football. Well, first I want to say I'm from Pittsburgh and down with the doo-doo Browns. Anyway, as far as track is concerned, here is the key thing I always tell people. The world is enamored with speed. If you have speed, you will be liked. There are players who are not really that good, not technically uh, sound, but they can run fast and they're in the NFL. So it can get you as far as the Hall of Fame. There's Hall of Famers who were very fast and they made it all through their career. They didn't play long because of course speed gets diminished as you get older. But in that six to eight year span, they were the best at what they do. I always tell people, again, not only do kids want to go D1, their dream is always usually to go pro to right. the highest level. Right. So if you plan to go pro, you can never escape that stopwatch, that 40-yard right. dash. And I tell kids, as you work, you keep working. You don't have to run track every year, but you should have some balance. When kids come to my camp, if their form is terrible, running form, I have to take the football off their, out their hand and teach them how to run. Because you can't teach a kid how to run holding the ball if you can't run without holding the ball. So that's the main thing I tell every kid, run track, that should be your priority other than football. Because speed is something you will have to do. So when I train you know, kids going to the uh, NFL combine, even the fast kids are concerned about how fast they can run a 40 because the fast kids are thinking about wanting to run a 4-2. They want to run a 4-2. The slow kids, they hope they can run at least a 4-6. So everybody is concerned about speed. It's just how it is. So I would say run track in youth for a couple years. In high school, try to run at least one or two years. Then after that, 
it's like falling off a bike. Once you fall off the bike, you can get back on the bike and you'll still learn how to ride. But if you never run, that two months when you drop out of college to train at a, a, some pro facility for your pro combine prep is not going to be good enough. You know what I mean? You can tell all the kids who can run fast. Um, when uh, Mike Mayock, when he used to uh, do the, uh, before he w went to the Raiders, he used to always say, when a kid gets up to run, that's a track kick. And you can tell because they have a different mannerism. Right. The kids who never ran track, they do all these crazy you know, they bend their knees, they're stretching their arms, it's almost like it's rehearsed. Mm -hmm. It's not natural. They do all that to run slow. Mm -hmm. So fast people think fast, slow people think slow. I never met a kid who thought he was fast, who was like, oh, I'm worried about my speed. He thought he was the fastest on the field. So I always say that, run track. I don't care what anybody say. I meet some football coaches that say they don't like track, but listen, the faster your kids are, the less technique they need. I hate to say it, but that's what it is. You know what I mean? So, okay. run track. So, I'm a huge advocate for running track. I think it was hugely beneficial for my son and for all of the athletes that, that I know. Um, and I there is absolutely a difference in high school. Now, you might lose every race. You may never be top 10 when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. But if you keep running, most of the kids, when they turn 14, they stop running because they don't want to lose. And I just feel like that is to their detriment. I feel like kids, even though they were maybe at the top when they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, they should absolutely continue to run track even though the rest of the field is caught up and maybe even past them because it just makes them a little bit more competitive. I think kids that play two sports or participate in two sports in high school are the most competitive, hands down. You can't tell me that a kid who spent six months of the year lifting weights is as competitive as a kid who stood shoulder to shoulder against somebody and raced against them when a gun went off. You just can't, you can't convince me of that. And we hear that over and over and over and over and over again from college coaches who say they prefer athletes who run track. Okay. Yes. So it's not just me and my observations, although I share them all the time. And he is more of an expert, you know, than me by by a, a gazillion. And so um, you now know that it is very important to run track. Now let's talk about the decision making process between running track and seven on seven. Well, oh, that's a tough one. So here's the thing. I love seven on seven, but I do think sometimes bad habits are formed or enforced or whatever. Now, if you're a running back, you want to run seven on seven, but you kind of lack, you know, shiftiness or you lack short space agility. But if you run seven on seven, all you're going to do is do a flare route. They don't use you. I would suggest if you do seven on seven and you're running back, play slot so that you can get into the past game. Because the reality is quarterbacks are trying to get noticed and get a scholarship too. And dumping down a four-yard pass, they don't think or feel that it's going to uh, show the scouts their true ability. So running backs are out there wide open. Because I had a lot of backs say, hey, I'm not doing seven on seven. I'm coming to your camp. They wanted to work on the skill. Here's the thing. Running backs need to catch the ball. They need to learn how to run routes. Seven on seven doesn't really utilize them. So then they're like, oh, I'm wasting my time. It's not a waste of time. The coaches need to enforce, check down, or use the running back some type of way. That's my suggestion. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of torn. 
you know, should they play or should they run track or should they come to my camp, whatever. I yeah. If you have time, do all three and yeah. you can talk to the coach because it's not fair to the track coach if you think I'm just going to show up when I want to to the track meet. That's not fair. Or it's not fair to your 707 if you think I'm just going to show up. So if you can work out some kind of way, it will benefit you. But remember, speed will get you all the way to the highest level. How good you are in 707 does not necessarily get you to the highest level, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about diversifying your skill set. It was a major priority in my household. I wanted my son to make sure that he, A, he loved track and he loved football, right? So it wasn't hard for me to get him to both. But when he transitioned from being a receiver in high school to being a DB full-time, that definitely changed things because we were concerned about him becoming injured because he was now training his body to go backwards, Yeah. right? So. When parents have to make tough decisions around diversifying what they work on, what should be their priority? Should it be speed? Should they be focusing on strength? Should they be focusing on their, you know, position skill set training? What should they be doing first? I think here here's the thing. No matter what you do, what sport you participate in, the world loves explosion. So if you get stronger, and you know, the difference between power and explosion, two different things. Explosiveness is how fast you can move something heavy or whatever, and or some type of force quickly, right? So you wanna get training, you wanna make sure you're strong in your lower body and flexible, mainly in your glutes. You wanna make sure your glutes are strong and you wanna make sure your hamstrings are loose. Okay. You know what I mean? Because hamstrings, uh, what hamstrings is, it dictates how long your stride will be and how quick your turnover is. Now, in short space football, what I say to track kids is you can't just be fast because just being fast only means you're going to run into the wall faster. So you need to be shifty. You will, so what you want to do is make sure your ankles are now loose. You know what I mean? Understand the, dip, uh, the importance of your big toe, which helps you push off and go left to right and redirect. That's what's not really taught to the uh, young kids, you know right, what I mean? How right. important their big toe is, right. and you know, keeping the weight centered on the inside of their big toe to the to the back of the heel. So a lot of stuff they can learn. Yeah. Um, but like I say, speed is the main thing. When kids come to me, I'm like, okay, you got a nice stride, you got a long gait, but you have to shorten your gait. And what we teach is, again, we teach arms. So I do a drill called no feet. They don't use their feet. All they do is stand there, stagnant, uh, stagnant, feet even, shoulder length apart, and they just move their arms. Mm. Long stride means they're running long, of course. Yeah. Short stride, when I tell them break it down, they'll like chatter real short, drop their chin, keep their head up, drop their chin to their knees, and that signifies, you know, or them being short space and being able to uh, transition from another direction to, to wherever direction they're, they're moving toward. Because in football, you cannot broadcast with direction, especially as a ball carrier. You can't tell the defender, I'm about to make a cut. We want to teach the kids that you're going to run through him. As soon as he drops his hip to make the tackle and you sit him in that chair, you move another direction. So right. that's what we teach. Got it. I want to talk to you about coaches. We touched on, on Ed Croson, who has a huge history here because of what he did at a public school first, right, with Birmingham. 
high school. Um, but I want to talk about what parents should be looking for in a youth coach. You have coached all levels of football, essentially pretty close, right? You coached youth, you've coached high school for a very long time, uh, over 10 years, you are now at a JUCO. But can we go back and talk a little bit about ways parents can identify who a good coach is versus somebody who isn't going to necessarily develop their kid and what they should be looking for in that coach in the end? Like, what should the best outcome be? Well, it depends on what what you want the outcome to be okay. as a parent and, and the kid. As a youth coach, I always tell youth coaches, your purpose is not to win. Winning is valuable. However, your purpose is to prepare the kids for the next level, which is high school. So a lot of kids are superstars in whatever system. They're just better athletes and everybody praises them. But then they get to high school and they don't do anything or they don't even play long enough because they just don't know and they're right. behind. So I always tell They kids, don't know what? They don't know they don't how know, to play in different schemes? Like as a running back, some kids scored 15, 20 touchdowns. And I'm looking at the highlight and I'm thinking, well, he just got the ball and he ran out the out, going down the outside and down the sideline. That doesn't make, make you a running back. Mm. So when he gets to high school, they have zone schemes and he can't pick up zone schemes, which inside zone is a whole different. You have an aiming point once you get the ball. Then you have to cut and read the defender, like say the, the uh, third person past the, uh, the center on de defense. You have to read. So... Sometimes that's the thing you have to pick up. And youth football, they just get the ball and run through a hole. Right. Most high schools don't have a hole. They have gaps. You know what I mean? They have an A gap, B gap, C gap. And a lot of kids aren't prepared. So what I did is I ran the same offense as Chaminade did, pretty much. But that was later, because you ran a very... When Allende coached my son in his first football season. And I, I'm, let me offense. Listen, let me tell you, mommies out there, mommies, single mothers, um, women who don't know football, let me tell you something, sis. Okay. Um, <laughs> in 2010, Allende coached a team um, that had my son and a lot of boys that we know that have gone D1. Okay. It was our worst football season we ever had in our life. In terms of wins, in terms of wins versus losses, we had a terrible season. We didn't win. I think we won one game, maybe. Maybe. Um, and it was a very challenging season for kids who tried hard. I remember the first conversation, real conversation I had with Allende was the last, was after the last game of our first season, my son got in the car and he cried his face off from the time we left the West Valley until we got to Claremont, which is the end of LA County. It's the last city in LA County. So as far east as you can go in the county. And I called him, and as long as my child cried, I cussed Allende out, okay? About all of the things that were wrong with the football team and the football uh, program and how complicated the plays were. And he, and I mean, it was just, okay, it was beyond, it was beyond complicated. What do you consider complicated? We ran, first of all, we ran, we started out with the spread offense. Let me tell you what complicated oh, is. Let me answer that question for the moms, what complicated is. If your coach creates an electronic playbook for your 10-year-old that has 20 plays on it, that's too much. But it was created you don't need in, that much on to play. PlayStation. Uh, 
Look, you don't need that much, Mama. We Listen, can get up Papa. On if you don't know about football and you trying to, you want your baby to know about football, and you're trying to find a good coach for your kid, and you want them to be ready for high school. He has evolved from that. He learned. He learned that's not that's too much. Yes, I did learn. That's too how, much. Hold on, hold on, hold that's on. too much. That's but too much for ten year olds. Any textbook doesn't mean you you gonna get all ten chapters. So I, I gave him a I gave him an animated. He gave playbook. us an animated playbook and told us to study it. And the kids were studying it and they were running into each other and we we were not being effective. No, listen. We were not winning games and that's okay because I learned. I learned. My son learned a lot about football. I learned a lot about my son. I also, I also learned a lot about the type of person I wanted to coach. So let's talk about how coaches can evolve and how coaches can also well, be really good sales reps. You, be, you involve, you evolve by listening and talking to other coaches, which I did. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. So when I first started, of course, when you get something new, you want to try everything, you know. But you start to get better, and you want to teach. Yes. So, I didn't win as much early because I was trying to teach the kids and most of them You were trying to teach the kindergartners trigonometry <laughs> and calculus. That's okay. No, no, no. And so now we you got it that now we're focused on basic algebraic concepts. We ran simple pad, we ran slants, we ran smash, which is a, a hitch and a, a, a corner route. But then we had two different quarterbacks with two different skill sets. And what happened is they we, were ten. We, won, we went three and zero in our scrimmages. We blew out people in our scrimmages. By the time the season started, our first game was with the champions. They beat us thirty-five nothing. The second game was with the uh, the runner-ups, and I think they beat us. Uh, they shut us out. Whatever. It wasn't as bad. However, by the third game, kids weren't coming to practice anymore. So therefore, now she came with her son. To every practice they were never late they was always there however that that doesn't go for all the other kids so we eventually had to go uh change our offense to a power eye and that's a basic staple of youth football three running backs uh, and a power eye so it wasn't that complicated so we changed our offense i think three times we went to the flex bone because i was trying to they changed the offense on 10 year olds three times but it was basic <laughs> <laughs> listen no so so here's the deal here's what i would say here's some tips i'm gonna recommend some tips for you and then you just tell me if i'm right okay if your baby is somewhere between the ages of five and 12 their coach should be focused on fundamentals okay fantastic fundamentals agree agree okay now fundamentals mean what exactly how do you play step by step? What angles you take? How do you um, how do you approach the play? And basically learning football. What is football when you have different uh, units on the field? So everybody learns individual drills or whatever. But how does that work? Like receivers, you run a hit. How do you pick a receiver? Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about parents understanding what position their kids should play because everybody thinks, "Oh, my kid has scored touchdowns." Yeah. I want my kid to be cheered for, well, and that football. leaves out my babies. And you know, my yeah. favorite players on the my favorite players on in football, especially in youth football, are linemen. But here's the thing: back then, the weights were so small, you just had to take. Okay, the so there's a weight piece yeah. that we could we'll talk about. Nowadays, they have bigger you know, weight. It is what it is. Traditional kids who are going to be linemen, that's going to be a lineman. Yeah, but weight, weight. Here's my thing about weight. I feel like weight and the you know, it can it can be a detriment to some kids because they're not everybody's gonna be chunky 
You know what I'm saying? Some of them are going to lean out and look just like a receiver. Yeah, but, and that's not fair to them to not play them in skilled positions because yeah, of their but, size. But it's not here's, fair. Here's the key thing. Honestly, we, I'll have a, we'll have a, a whole class of, about this okay, in the future. Most running backs, historically, they didn't play running back for the youth team because they were bigger and they were more physical. Now, I told one lady one time she got mad because her son wasn't running the ball and she, they had this little kid running the ball. Now her son was kind of husky. He looked like he was going to be a football player. And I said, Do you, would you rather your son run the ball and let the little guy block for your, little, for your son or would you rather your son block for the little guy? Because I don't know if I want to run the ball with this little guy blocking for me. It mm -hmm. just doesn't work. So a lot of times kids, who made it to the pros will tell you I didn't play running back at first I didn't even play running back till I got to high school mm -hmm. they already had it in them but as a coach you have to you want to win it's not the, the main thing but you want to be successful yeah you want to win you want to yeah. also teach them because I always say some of my teams didn't win a lot of games but I got more kids to the uh the Catholic schools and in college than the kid the guys who won championships every year because they had a system and made them win. Or okay. they had some super athlete. Yeah. And none of their kids played in college or even high school. Right. So you have to say, because I can line up and say, this is an easy offense, give it to you, just give it to you, and we can win. Right. But when you're trying to develop kids, it comes different. So that's why I always tell coaches, because they always talk about when you see these forums, they want to win. I said, it's not your job to win primarily. Right. Kids learn the how that's the goal yeah but your job as coach is to not exclusively yeah. to win your job yes. as coach is to, to train them yes develop them my high school coaches always say i'm so tired of kids coming up to uh to you know a high school not prepared not understanding what exactly football is so i remember i went to a camp and um it was an inner city school high school and the receiver they called it play it was like a smash play so of course with a smash you have a six yard route on the outside and the inside slot receiver or tight end, he'll run a corner behind the hitch. That means if they're in cover two, the safety can't make it to the uh, to the corner route or if the cornerback backs up to stop the corner, you throw it to the hitch. This kid just said, I'm just gonna do my own play. So of course, he, instead of running uh, the hitch, he just ran a streak and they threw the ball to him. Of course, he caught the touchdown, but when he came back, I yelled at him, I said, listen, cannot just make up your own plays. He's like, why? I said, because that's not how football works. You have to run the right play because you basically took the cornerback all the way to the end zone where we were trying to hit the, the, the corner route. And he was like, didn't understand it. But that's because his coach didn't teach him that. He was a, a freshman, getting ready to go to high school. Well, he's gonna be a freshman. All he knew was catch the ball. Now we know as young kids, we play in the streets, there's no formulated pattern or no kind of scheme, and you just man on man. And that's cool, but that doesn't work in organized football. Right, right. And so um, informing parents on, you know, how they can find a coach, um, let's speak to that a little bit. Because, you know, here in L.A., we're hyper-competitive. You know, parents, families, we're competitive. And... We didn't always play in our city. In fact, I never played. My son never played in his the city he lived in until he was in middle school through other circumstances. But, um, you know, we lived in Burbank. We never played there. They had a fantastic program. You know, we had heard all about it. We wanted to play everybody that he knew. But parents like to... Um, 
create super teams. They like the idea of creating the best opportunity to win. And that can sometimes be harmful to their athlete. Can you speak to that? Well, here's the thing. You get better at practice. You don't get better in the game. You get more game, uh, you know, energy, I guess, or experience. But if you have a team full of superstars, five stars, you get better by practicing against those superstars. You know what I mean? If you play the game, you're gonna run and beat people 55 nothing. That You're not getting better if you're beating kids 55 nothing. You get game experience, you know, you can beat yourself on your chest. Yeah, we this and that, but that doesn't prepare you for the competition. When you go to high school, you are a freshman. And a lot of freshmen nowadays are playing varsity, but you got some seniors, they're like, look, you ain't having my position. You know what I mean? Now, most of the kids I had who played freshman varsity as, you know, played varsity as a freshman, it wasn't because they was just a superior athlete. It was because they knew the game and they had good fundamentals. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. So I always preach great fundamentals. Let's talk about freshmen playing. Uh, that's, that's actually a good segue because a lot of parents feel like if you your kid is only... Um, on a D1 trajectory if they play varsity day one of high school. That is absolutely false. It's a false narrative. Um, and so what what can you do to, what can you say you know, to parents to help them understand that playing a freshman does not secure you a D1 opportunity any sooner than anyone else? First, I'm gonna say this. Barry Sanders didn't start on his varsity team as a freshman. Adrian Peterson did not start on his freshman team as a, a freshman. A lot of freshman team as a freshman. I mean, he didn't start on his varsity team as a freshman. A lot of kids don't start on their fresh on their varsity team as a freshman. If you get an offer as a freshman, you still can't go anywhere. You still gotta wait to your senior. The main thing is, as a freshman, you want you want to have constant progress from the time you're a freshman all the way until the time you're a senior. And I always tell parents, listen, the most important thing is every rep. It's not practice, because if you have 30 reps in practice and you only had, and say you scored three touchdowns out of 30 reps, that's still not a good practice. Or say three out of 10 is what, 30%. So you want to make sure every rep is the best you can get it. You know, that's how I say you should, uh, uh, you know, monitor your practice, how well you practice. It's not the, the entire practice, it's how many reps. Every rep, you gotta get better. Sometimes you're not gonna win that rep, but you need to come back stronger, you know what I'm saying, with the next rep and keep getting better and better. By the time you add up the season, you've had so many reps and you're gonna get better. You know what I mean? So focus on the rep, not the actual practice. That makes any sense. It does make a lot of sense. Let's talk about um, making sure that athletes know when and how um, to start thinking about going D1, right? Because I feel like the second my son told me he wanted to go to USC, it just connected immediately that, you know, this is this was the this was his path and his plan, right? And I feel like there are a lot of kids who unfortunately kind of fall slave to the process. They kind of just fall into it, waiting for things to happen.
happen. They just are waiting rather than being proactive and trying to go out there and get it and doing everything they can. And I want to make sure that the future of D1 understands that if you are indeed, and that is truly your plan, right? To proclaim your future, to play for your dream school. And even if you don't play for your dream school, just to make it to a D1 university, right? Is, is a humongous, spectacular event. 0.4% of high school football players get to play D1, right, yeah. each year. So it's huge. Now, how in the world can we take where we are today and give the athletes a few little nuggets on how they can move forward um, from today onward? Parents, you are welcome to send us any questions. Um, Allende is available at runtodaylight.com. Uh, I believe you answer all emails through there. He's also on all social media um, and pretty responsive there. Look for Run, the number two in Daylight Running Back Academy. He's easily accessible and happy to answer your questions. Um, if you have questions for us, you can always DM us on our Instagram at the future of D1. Um, you can also email us. We have a few different email addresses on our um, website. But let's let's talk about a big piece of this conversation, right? Because we're in an unprecedented year, because there's nothing about this spring that is the same for any facet of the Division One recruiting process, teachers, tutors, administrators, parents, athletes, coaches, trainers, right? Let's talk about how JUCO could be a fantastic option for kids who are losing this spring to develop and may need a little bit more time for kids that may need a little bit more time to mature, to grow into their body. Um, tell us about JUCO. What is JUCO? And let's start to try to debunk some of the myths about JUCO. Well, JUCO is short for junior college, of course. Uh, I coach at College of the Canyons. Um, we're one of the top uh, uh, programs in California. California has their own uh, JUCO system. They have more junior colleges in the state of California than they have in the rest of America. So uh, the main thing is you go to JUCO, you can gray shirt, shirt that year, which means you only take 11 credits and you won't uh, start your clock. You only get five years to play four, but once you start full credit student, becoming a full credit student, your clock starts. So a lot of kids will come to a JUCO, they either didn't get their shot or they had bad grades. Okay, so let's talk about that before you go any further. Yeah. Okay, they didn't get their shot. So there, there are JUCO athletes who weren't recruited in high school, so weren't offered, right? And then there are JUCO athletes who were offered, yeah. but for whatever reason, almost always grades, yeah. right? Um, they have to go JUCO. Um, and, and it's important to note because of NCAA rules and guidelines, if you are a division one recruit, if you are offered by a division one school and you don't qualify to go NCAA and you wanna play football and you go JUCO, you have to graduate from a JUCO. So you have to spend two years at the JUCO because you were a division one recruit. So. For the athletes that aren't focused on their grades right now, it almost serves as a little bit of a penalty, right? You have to sit two years, right? Yeah. Sit, I say that in air quotes because you're not sitting, but you have to sit out of the opportunity to go to a D1 school and you have to focus on staying at a JUCO for two years, right? Now, 
You can play for two years. You can still have a football experience. But would you rather be ready in high school so that if you get a D1 offer, you can actually accept it? Or would you be, would you rather be an athlete who didn't prioritize the academic piece and now that it's time and you've gotten your offer, you can't go anywhere else but to a JUCO. It's the only alternative. What I say is, and my thoughts on it is, if you can control the process, if you can, if you're doing everything you can to get the attention of college coaches, if you're playing your hardest, practicing your hardest, your grades are in order, your SAT score is in alignment with your GPA, and you're able to go D1, and you find a fantastic school that wants you, that you feel like you're gonna be able to thrive at, that's the best case scenario. You may be recruited by a school though, that isn't the best school for you, Yes. right? There's 10 conferences, I believe, in, in football. And so there may be a school that's too far, maybe the coaching you don't vibe, whatever the reason, right? Um, I think the JUCO is always, always a viable opportunity. And I think that, um, actually, did I misspeak? I think you'll have to spend one year at a JUCO if you were recruited. No, if you if you're not, Qualify, you have to graduate to go okay. to D1. To go D1, you don't have okay. To graduate. So I said it right. Okay. You want to go to D2? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think you have to graduate. Right. But I will say this everybody has a dream school. But with that dream school, you have to have the dream season attached to it. Nobody says, well, I want to go to, I want to go to such and such, but you're a quarterback and such and such barely throws the ball. You know what I mean? So how can you have a dream season and move on to the next level? Right. If you're a running back, you want to go to a school that uses a running back and they run the ball. You don't want to go somewhere where, okay, they throw it a thousand times and they don't even throw it to the running back. Are you I, talking about for high school? Or are you talking no, about for, 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 from high school to college? Yeah, D1. To go high yeah. school. Okay, so yeah. when you're looking at D1 schools, you should be looking at the scheme and how, their, how, how they can, contribute. Okay, my dream school. I don't play football anymore, so my dream school may be Oregon. I'm a fan. Right. But you're no longer a fan. You're going to the school to because that's your dream school. You always wanted to go to because they always put out and develop position that you play. Right. Don't go somewhere and don't have a dream school and be in love with a school with a brand with a brand. Right. That doesn't won't suit you because, like I said, dream school, dream season. Nobody says, "Well, I want to go such and such." They don't have a program. Or right. Right. That's the same. That's I want to go to Washington and I'm, I want to be a Husky, but yeah. you don't want to ride the Husky bench. Yeah. You want to go and you want to be go, a Husky. You want to contribute and play. where you can develop. Right. And sometimes there's kids who don't get noticed. Like the, the best player on defense, what's his name? He went played for the Raiders. For what school? He, uh, no, he, he went to Buffalo University. Mm. He played, he got drafted first round to the Raiders. Was one of the top, uh, he's the only person that ever got all pro as a, def a defensive end and a linebacker. I can't think of his name. Anyway, he got traded to Chicago. However, he was a late starter. He okay. worked his heart off. Even like, uh, uh, what's a late starter? Sometimes you just you just don't develop, and you just not some. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes a kid is okay, he's moderate, mm -hmm. and then he just keeps getting better. Every rep, he got better, he got stronger, he got quicker. Right. And next thing you know. Hey, he's an all-pro, and people are like I never thought he'd be an all-pro. Right. But as you slept, and yeah. you slept on him. He was working. Like when you see Nike commercials, it's always that guy who gets up while everybody's around him is asleep. He gets up. He barely wants to wake up. He puts on his shoes and he goes out and runs. Mm -hmm. So you have to train when everybody is asleep. 
and everybody's sleeping on you. Train in the dark yeah. so you can thrive in the yeah. light. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I would say. Train, train. Even when you think about the best running backs, like uh, I can't think of anybody today. I'm low on cars, I'm sorry. But uh, what's his name? for uh, From Penn State, plays for the Giants. He came out as a, barely a four-star, right? They adjusted. He was a three-star. They adjusted him as a four-star late in the season. By the time he got to, uh, by the time he got to Penn State, he outworked everybody, and he became the number one running back and the number one athlete ever in as a running back in, in the NFL Combine. So, like I said, where you are now is not where you're gonna be tomorrow. You have to work. I, I had a kid a long time ago that used to tra uh, train with, with Dallas and all of us. I told him, I said, listen, you are the slowest black kid I've ever seen in my life. And he was like, oh, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just joking. But he was slow. That was when he was 11 years old when he used to come out of camp. Next thing you know, by the time he was a senior, he was the fastest man in the uh, Nike opening competition. And I told him, I said, look, I apologize, but you were slow. He's like, I know I was, but he ran track. He started off with the 400. Ironically, he beat Dallas. Dallas came in second. Who are you talking about? The, uh, just so everybody knows that that's listening. But he Dallas keeps, was here. He keeps was referring to Dallas. Um, Dallas is my son. Yeah. So. So he beat Dallas in the 400 meter. It was. Who beat Dallas in the 400? Uh, I, I, I can't think of his name. Dallas was really good in the yeah, 400. He was, he was sidebar, a top. But, yeah. You know. So, but I'm saying. The fact that, because one time in youth football, who I, is the kid that beat my uh, child? From Pasadena, I can't even think of his name. I'll, I'll think of one in a minute. Hey, if you are the kid who beat my child, please so, uh, listen, DM remember, me. I'll send you some future D1 merch. This is how slow the kid was. If you Dallas, can also name any of the players that Dallas, I they cannot remember. Dallas was a cornerback. Dallas came on a blitz and came all the way around, and the cornerback seen Dallas coming, and he took off to the right. Dallas was coming from the right, which would be the quarterback's left. Ran down the field. Dallas came all the way around and caught him on a one-yard line. He ran about 40 yards. Dallas ran him down. What game was this? This is our Pasadena scrimmage. We, we played the Pasadena <laughs> Okay. Allende's talking about a scrimmage. Okay, so Pasadena. Pasadena, yeah. is, now, Pasadena is outside of Los Angeles, but Pasadena is known for building some of the and a lot of talented some kids. of the some of the most talented yeah. kids in so, SoCal. So me needless to say, I used to always say, man, you're slow. But like I said, his dad put him in track. He ran the 400 meters. He wasn't that much of a sprinter. But the next time I saw him, it was a couple years ago. He ran. He was the fastest man uh, winner in the competition because every opening, you know, LA opening, they always have the fastest man competition, and he right. won. And I was telling everybody because I videotaped. I said, listen, I used to tell this kid he was super slow. He laughed. He said, you were. He said, yeah, you said I was the slowest black man ever. <laughs> but he was now. The fastest. Like the fastest. And that's how fast things can yeah. happen. You can just turn around. Change the narrative. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you, yeah. If you, if you can't catch or you drop the ball when you run the ball, you fumble, work on catching, work on not dropping the ball. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. You can't complain if a coach tells the truth. Or you can't even complain if the coach don't think you're all that good. It's okay. That's yeah. motivation just to work harder right. and harder. It's just like in real life. If right. you work at a company and you your job, your, your boss says you're not a very good writer or whatever. Then you need to go off somewhere and write and get better until he says you're really good. You're or good. you can go to another company that's their competitor and yeah. write the exact same way and yeah. flip that whole script on its head, right? And make that company yeah, more but impactful. You have to work you and can write do, and get better. So, or you can just yeah, 
Okay. So, so okay. that that brings me You're to transfer. I have no issues with people who transfer. Oh wait, 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 wait. We are not ready to talk about transferring it. That's a whole different okay, conversation. Okay. But let's talk about. Let's go back to JUCO, and then we'll talk about transferring okay. it within the JUCO conversation. Yeah. So JUCOs, junior colleges. California does have their own separate conference for their JUCOs. Yes. Um, and that is in some ways controversial for a couple reasons. One, because they don't compete against the rest of the country, so it's hard to call yourself a national champion. Yeah. You I should mean, be called a California state champion. Yeah, well, that's what they but, call it, but sometimes they have a, with like 2004, College of the Canyons won the national championship because they were undefeated. They played in which considered uh, California, the state of California has some of the best teams. And then they, they vote. Like, it's not California people who vote, but the JUCO abroad. The vote, NJCAA. They mm -hmm. vote for the number one team. Right. So that's how they, and like two years ago, we were 10 and 0. We were ranked number four in America. Okay. Number one in the state. But then we lost to... Uh, I'm not even going to mention He can't name. even remember I the name. He no, can't, because he, he's Ventura, low on carbs. He needs more carbohydrates. Ventura, we lost to them. We just beat them 31-7. And then three weeks, we have like, in California, they have a, a, a playoff, right? So you have a, a, a four-team playoff on this side. And then on the south is us. And up north, they have a four-team playoff. We happen to lose to a team we beat 31 nothing, And you know how coaches are. You blew the team out, you beat them down. And instead of doing this exact same thing, you want to change everything around. And we kind of got confused, whatever. It's okay. Coaching errors happen. Yeah. I appreciate the admission of that yeah, because not everybody's willing. I mean, that's not what you were going to say out of your mouth. But, you know, I think that it's important to mention that coaching errors happen to all the parents who are screaming at the coaches in the stands. I've done that. I'm guilty of that. Um, I think I know more about football in a live football game than any coach. Okay, so I can admit that. It's well, not, probably not accurate. We won. We lost. But we still sent out more D1 kids than anybody else. Okay. And the year before I came, they lost. They were like five and five. Right. But that was a year that Hollywood Brown, who played for Oklahoma Sooners and now was a first-round draft pick for the Ravens, he was a on a five-on-five five team. Mm. But he, after his third game, he ran a kickback, uh, kickoff return back, and everybody wanted to see him. Mm -hmm. and, and he went to Oklahoma. So when it He comes, left your JUCO, yeah, College of the Canyons, after one year. He was a qualifier. So he, okay. was, he was 148 pounds. He came on campus, 148 okay. pounds. Tiny, yeah. Tiny. But he worked his, you know, off and did what he had to do. And then he came that one year. They said he was one year. They tried, Of course, we tried to get him to stay one extra year. But he decided he wanted to go to Oklahoma. He went to Oklahoma. I remember he scored one time, and the guy was like, who is that guy? And the guy said, that's Hollywood Brown from College of the Canyons. Now, we got him. And now, Hollywood is like a 5'8", 5'9", dark-skinned kid with a whole bunch of gold in his mouth. You know that Florida-type, stereotype, whatever. All we have now is about 20 slots. Dark skin, gold mouth, <laughs> fast kid. Yeah, the because duplicate. Go where it's successful. In the right. Skin. Why go to a JUCO? Because a lot of JUCOs, they they run the ball and or they don't have a really good quarterback. So don't go somewhere where they don't they don't throw the ball if you're a slot. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So since then, since Hollywood Brown, we sent six other slots, D1. Okay, let's talk about that. So athletes who 
are fantastic in high school or not fantastic in high school, but can still play and they have the desire to play and they still have the dream to go D1. Juco is a viable option for them. There are as many coaches when they're on their recruiting tours and going to high schools that pop in and junior colleges because here in Los Angeles, they are essentially in close proximity to each other and they're all very central to high schools. So it pays to have, um, to go to a school that's centrally located to a JUCO and to come play football in California, which is going to start to happen. I, I have a theory about this migration thing that's going to happen in the very near future. Only thing I would say is California JUCOs don't give scholarships. So that's the only downfall. But on the back end, if you have to pay for your, for your tuition, and if you have to pay for your room and board, but you get a scholarship, it makes it worth it. Because you got to figure your scholarship is worth for the next two or three years, at least $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So that's at least a $100,000 scholarship that you're getting. You know what I mean? So, right, but here's it. So let's talk about that. Because one of the controversial things about, you know, kids that come to California is that there isn't the same scholarship opportunities. And there's no room and board yeah. here. So, you know, JUCOs are fantastic. Um they're actually a great pivot point for kids leaving high school that are still going to be at home. Um, they don't know what their major is going to be. It makes a lot of sense for parents financially. Um, if you're an athlete and you still want to play your sport, find a JUCO that specializes in your sport. That's highly touted. Um, it has some national recognition if you can and go play there. I think that is super, super, super important and very valid. However, California is not cheap. No, it's not cheap. It's not cheap to live here. Okay, it's not an inexpensive place to stay. And so because you're responsible for your room and board, there are some things that make it a little bit, you know, unequitable. And one of the ways our great governor is going to be kind of rectifying that is by allowing for athletes to make money. Yeah. So, well, no, they, you can't work in JUCO. That's you can, you can have a job in JUCO, yeah. yes, but you're actually going to be able to make money off your likeness. Yeah. Right? So... Traditional athletes, traditional NCAA athletes, as it stands today, they are not allowed to be paid for their likeness, right? So your jersey with your family's name on the back that gets sold, that money goes to the university. Your athlete family never see that money. In California, though, in the next few years, if you lived here, you've established a certain point of residency, I believe it's three years, um, you are going to be able to make money off your likeness which is huge. And so I have a theory that there's gonna be a huge migration of talent from other states. Because to me, it's absolutely worth the transfer. It's absolutely worth it. If you think your kid has a shot and they're in a state that doesn't get a lot of looks or they don't send a lot of kids to D1 historically, and they don't get that same, you know, recruiting pass with the coaches where they're making multiple passes to the school to get to do to do the eye test and to see your kid do drills in their practice, right? Maybe let's call that a South Dakota or a Wisconsin, right? It doesn't mean there's no running backs in Wisconsin. I'm sure there's a running back in Wisconsin. Um, but but they don't necessarily get seen as often as other kids, right? And it's also not as fun to go to those states if you're recruiting. Well, I mean, so you go there with a purpose, you, yeah. you usually scout and recruit what you know you can get there pretty easily, yeah. and then you come and, you, and the recruiters, coaches, fight the hard fight of trying to get the highly touted talent in yeah. California and throughout the Southern region. So I 
think that there's going to be a lot of kids that look like Adoree Jackson, yeah. you know, that come here and duplicate Adoree's success, yeah. right, where it turned out for him. There's going to be a lot of kids who come here and don't even necessarily go to JUCO, but they come here for high school or they transfer in in high school so that when the time comes, if they are in the position where they have to go JUCO or even if they decide to go JUCO, they can still make money on their likeness because yeah. there will be a tipping point where there are athletes who are popular enough to earn money as an influencer, yeah. to earn money as a as a um, you know ball carrier, to bring revenue into teams. You know, there are going to be kids that are going to sell tickets to games, yeah. and so um, let's see if my theory is right. I could be wrong, but I've been right about a lot of things. Well, it's only fair. I mean, if it's, I mean, trust me. I went to West Virginia University, and Major Harris was the guy at the time. And to see so many people wearing major excitement this, major this, and me having to loan him $5. Right. Like, he should have gave me $500 because he was the guy. Right. He came third in the Heisman or whatever. But he, enrollment went up at West Virginia. I mean, they used to park outside in their trailers right at, in front of the stadium for two days until the actual game on Saturday. So I think it's only right to share the wealth because even if they get a degree, is that degree and their, their earning potential worth the money that they brought in? It's, it's not probably going to be close. No, I'd rather yeah. I'd rather have my, I mean, today, now that we're evolving and progressing past the traditional thing, you know, the traditional ways that things are done, and this pandemic is no different, right? This is probably going to accelerate a lot of changes um, in the Division One recruiting process. And I know that you will continue to remain steadfast in your pursuit to help kids go D1. I know that you do a lot of talking to families and you do a lot of um, not only physical development, but you also work to train the athletes' minds so that they're prepared for this experience. Um, and so thank you so much for, for joining us. Remind us once again where people can subscribe to your class and, uh, and tell us the name of the class really quickly. It's Run Daylight Online. Uh, basically, you go to uh, Run the Daylight www.run2daylight.com and you just you can um, and, you know, enroll on you know monthly membership or like I say yearly membership. If not you know come to Cali we work out daily. I'm working out almost seven days a week primarily on Saturday and Sundays. Right and your Sunday camp is what time? I, well private start at seven uh -huh. individual seven on the hour seven to eight eight to nine uh -huh. and I have a, a 12 to 2 which is like more of a, uh, it might be 10, to, it just depends. Like if Well, I it used to be 10 kids, but now it can't be 10 because depends. of the pandemic. Oh yeah, 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 now, now. There's you know, no group, but when the, when you, I'm when, just saying, that, when the opportunity yeah. grows, yeah. you know, comes so back. Like I had a Raider, one of the Raider running backs came. Uh, What's his name? Keith Smith. Oh good, your carbs didn't fake on you that time. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting in. <laughs> I got jelly beans in my pocket, but I don't want to mess up my boy. But anyway. So you have a the running. Actually, I stopped by your camp a couple weeks ago, and there you were training an athlete. Uh, oh yeah, that was Stephen Carr, running okay. back, star running back at USC. Okay. So they'll Seemed pop like a great in, kid. and sometimes they'll call, "Hey, I want to get a workout." I'm like, "Yo, come over." So the twelve to two is more open, like open enrollment. People yeah. Come. Yeah. Private session. I know who's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then twelve to two is usually, you know. Uh, people come. I know mostly who's coming, but there might be one or two guys coming. Like, but you take walk-ups is what you're saying. Like, yeah, I take walk-ups. Well, but the, this yeah. is the camp that kind of your, your inaugural camp, yeah. your group 
camp yeah, that it, it takes all camp, ages. It was a, it was a camp. It academy not, yeah. It better. Yeah, but, Plus, but it's a camp. It's, a, it's a dope workout. I, I know who's it's, coming. It's, in, right? it's very yeah. exclusive. Yeah. It's a limited group of people. And it's some of your most talented yeah. athletes. Yeah. And that works because it just yeah. makes it more competitive yeah. for the other athletes. Yeah. So, so yeah. call you ahead of time if yeah. they're going to come to the camp to get the location. Don't just show up because I need to know who's going to be there. Yeah. Because sometimes I have the thrills based on who I think is going to be there. Like, yeah. So like JJ would come, I think when he came one time, it was like 31 kids because I, I put on Twitter, JJ's going to be there. Right. It was like 31 <laughs> kids. It was a bunch of five, five kids who were like, I want to see how good this guy is. I looked up to He's him. He's the best. And so yeah. being, and I, and I took pictures with, and I was like, maybe he's five, six, because this guy say he's five, five. <laughs> but everybody pushed each other. Yeah. And they all, I told him, listen, challenge him. Mm-hmm. Don't don't stand in the back because you don't want the kid to stay in the back because because they're intimidated yeah. by competition. You, to you, got, you need to step up and try. The only way to get better is to try. Yeah. So I like I said I had him come. Keith Smith came. He was like uh, 20 minutes late. He pulled up in his Range Rover and the kids mean dogged him. You know, and I was like Keith, they ready for you? You're late. They gonna challenge you. He told me it was his best workout. The kids weren't weren't liking all of him. They challenged him because they yeah. were halfway mad because we. You ready to start now? We gotta start over our dynamic <laughs> stretch because you late. Right. So it's that type of twelve to two. I yeah, mean, really, it's, it's where the dogs go. Yeah, it's. I mean, there. If if you play D one football and you came out of SoCal and you haven't been to Run to Daylight Camp, I, I find it hard to believe. I I just feel like everybody has been at least once, um, and just about everybody that goes comes back because it it really is super cool like it's a very cool experience a for the athletes it's dope to watch you give parents content so you create videos so parents can see like from day one what your athlete looked like versus day 20 um and you become addicted to that and they become addicted to it they become addicted to competition they don't feel like they're competing and they are because if you know if you want an opportunity to actually practice and train with a pro, you can absolutely do it just right here in SoCal. So thank you, thank you so much for um, joining us. I'm really happy that you were able to come by today in the pandemic. Um, and and uh, we will definitely check back in with you in the very near future. Yes, thank you very much. And also, run today, right? The